0: Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson.
1: Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, interviewing Brad Forenza. Now, this is a little bit different Kind of interview than I normally do because we're going to talk mostly about his podcast rather than dive you extremely deeply into his life story. We're going to get into that a little bit, but we're going to talk a lot about the new season of his podcast around the sun. And the reason that that works out so well is his podcast. He's into the third season now, but he is has had so many amazing people. On the podcast now, it's not an interview podcast like this one. It is an episodic podcast that each episode is basically like a scripted play, if you will, a, a play for your for your ears. Uh, you know, like the the old school radio dramas. I, uh, I I just I enjoyed speaking with him about that. I've listened to, to quite a bit of uh, of the podcast, so every episode, definitely in seasons one and two. You're going to have kind of a self-contained story. These stories deal with all kinds of different things. There's comedy. There's tragedy. There's you know just self-reflection. There's uh, he's going to kind of talk a lot about that. So I don't want to get too much into that. But I was just impressed when uh, when seeing some of the the topics that he covers, but also the people that he has had on. Some huge guests. Some you know. Award-winning guests that have been on probably some of your favorite TV shows, probably in some of your favorite Broadway plays, some some of your favorite comedians. He's had on uh, somebody who has been on this podcast before, Francois Clemens. We love him, obviously. If you haven't listened to that episode with Francois on this podcast, I urge you to check that out. But uh, um, I just I can't even start the list of uh, people that have been on. Uh, Brad's podcast. We'll talk a little bit about that and how he was able to to get them to agree to come on this podcast that started in the high of the pandemic when you know people who were were artistic people who um, you know had a had visions of uh, of getting their their scripts out there needed to find other ways to do it and uh, Brad decided to to start this podcast where he could he could have the the actors. Come in on on Zoom and and uh, and act out their parts. Uh, so I uh, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation, just the behind the scenes of how you create a a episodic podcast, how you write scripts uh, for actors to to just have uh, others listen to it rather than see anything, and how you're able to contain such a powerful story in only ten minutes. So most of these episodes that he uh, he produces are only 10 minutes long so easy to to uh to listen to one of these while you're walking your dog or or brushing your teeth as he as he mentioned so thank you enjoy this conversation um here is brad forenza i'm here today with brad forenza mr forenza how are you
0: i'm doing very well jackson thanks for having me
1: well thanks for joining me hardest question of the evening just introduce yourself
0: well, my name is Brad Ferenza, and I am the creator of the episodic audio drama Around the Sun. I'm also a Cancer—that's my sign—and mm. Tuesday's Child, and I live in Jersey City, New Jersey.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're making me look silly right at the beginning because I I know Cancer, I know Jersey City. What's Tuesday's Child? I don't know what that is.
0: Oh gosh, you know. <laughs> I don't really know either, but I know that when I was born, my great-grandmother, who was around then, got me a plate that said Tuesday's Child. She was a plate lady. She had a lot of collectible plates, and the Tuesday's Child collector's plate stayed with me. I'm sure my mom still has it packed away somewhere. I just really remember it being (laughs) a prayer on the plate, but I don't remember if Tuesday's Child actually means anything. Your listeners are probably saying, "Yes, it does. It means that you're very emotionally intelligent, and uh, <laughs> maybe a little prickly at times."
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what people like about Tuesday so much. There's a, there used to be a store called Tuesday Morning, so we've got Tuesdays' children. Then we've got the morning covered. Every everything mm. about Tuesday, I guess. But yeah, so let's let's talk about. It's
0: around- certainly better than a Monday.
1: Yeah, well, I would I would say just a little bit, but I I feel like I'd rather be like a a Friday Friday's child or or a Saturday night or something. I
0: like that Friday evening, child, (laughs) Sunday morning, child. I like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I like uh, your your podcast around the sun, which you said that it's episodic. So talk about a little bit about what that means. Of course, people know what episodes are. But I think from my understanding, like the whole season kind of builds on itself talk a little bit about what that means
0: yeah well thank you again for having me on and many people know podcasts as being interview oriented that was certainly my introduction into the podcast world as a listener so an episodic audio drama which is how i bill around the sun is something that's scripted it kind of claps back to the old days of radio plays Mm -hmm. and Episodic audio drama is one way in which to include in our branding that we are a series. Actors are reading roles that I have written and interpreting those roles, and the narrative continues from episode to episode in our current season, which is season three.
1: And you you have three seasons, so you've been doing it for a while. What did, yep. what initially gave you the idea that, hey, this is something I want to do?
0: Well, the pandemic, that great horrific equalizer of the COVID-19 quarantine days. Uh, At the time I had some 10-minute plays that had been shopped around the country in 10-minute play festivals and during the earliest days of the pandemic when we were all shut in and not able to see each other I was able to kind of repurpose some of those 10-minute plays as episodes in a Audio drama. What would become an audio drama? I didn't really know fully that I was going to be doing this for three seasons and counting back during the pandemic. I just know that when I was shut in and I couldn't see anyone, I still needed to be creative. And repurposing these 10-minute plays as episodes in an audio drama was the best way i could do that because we were just learning all this remote technology back then people were starting to put theater up online and this was my foray into that
1: yeah well i i certainly understand this as a a podcast that started in september 2020 i think i there was just this was kind of the the a pandemic's child as yeah. well i uh yeah I, I i find it kind of interesting too that when I first started this, it was still I mean, people were still, you know, knee deep in the pandemic, but they weren't necessarily getting back to work yet. And that kind of thing. So it, I haven't had it probably in the last two years. But in the very beginning, people <laughs> were like, I don't have Zoom. I don't really know what Zoom yeah. is. That's not the case anymore. So I, I think you do most of your episodes, if I'm not mistaken, with your actors through whether it's Zoom or, or some other kind of virtual means. Um, when you first started did you have any issues with that that virtual world or did you kind of the actors you dealt with already lived in that world a little bit
0: so yes everything is recorded through remote technology even season three which if there is a post-pandemic era we're in it and season three is released right now in fall 2023 as we're recording this so Even in a post-pandemic world, we're still using remote technology to record these episodic audio drama episodes for Around the Sun. But back during season one, at the height of pandemic, you're right, not everyone was familiar with remote technology. I hesitate to invoke the name of a recently departed, celebrated individual, but Piper Laurie is part of... Around the Sun's amazing ensemble cast. Piper Laurie, I gather, wasn't terribly familiar with how to use remote technology back in season one. But by the time season two came around, she was well-versed in how to use remote technology. And we were able to include her in season two. And more importantly, she said yes. That's the biggest coup there.
1: Absolutely. I want to get to kind of the the people that have been in the, in the show in, in a moment, but I want to ask you, which I may have kind of set you up for the, the, the answer, but when you first got everything off the ground, what was the hardest part of everything? Was it, you know, you already talked about how you had some of these things written and you adapted them to the, yeah. to the show. So was it writing, writing the show? Was it just getting everybody able to connect to the same zoom call? where did you find the challenges?
0: Well, I, so we're talking season one here and everybody, was very eager to participate Mm -hmm. because that season one was produced in the height of the quarantine era, the social distancing era. The trick that year, season one, because it's a professional project and because these professional actors, me included, have to be contracted through SAG-AFTRA, the professional performer union, Getting through SAG After was tough in the early days of pandemic because they wanted to make sure that all of their actors were safe. And again, interpersonally, people know what remote technology refers to and what this landscape looks like. We're not in the same room together. But on paper, SAG After at the time didn't have a way to catch that. <laughs> so it took a while for uh their policy to pra- to catch up with practice as it existed in the remote landscape. So that was strangely the, the trickiest hurdle, and mm. it's a bureaucratic one. But the performers, I'm so happy to say and so honored, they were eager to participate.
1: And I, I want to get to, uh, you just mentioned, you know, having s- several really, really, um, you know, illustrious people on, have had some amazing careers not to to take away from from all the other people, but some people that kind of stuck out to me was you had Sally Strether's on that was on All in yeah. the Family, uh, Jay Rodriguez, uh, Bruce Valanche, all kinds yep, of people. Yep, yep. That, how did you? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you've just got a lot of connections, but how did you get these people on? Because these are these aren't just uh, you know you didn't just go down to to Broadway and find somebody that got cut from a, a play or something.
0: <laughs> well. I appreciate your preface that talent is everywhere. Implicit Mm. in your preface is that talent is everywhere. Mm. And I'm very lucky to have some very visible people who have a lot of talent. And my connection with a lot of the folks from season one comes from taking classes with them, working with them in projects in New York City, being mentored by them. They're very generous talented of course individuals but their spirit is one of hey let's let's do this uh very egalitarian vibes from people like vincent pastor marcia mason austin pendleton maureen van zant and i worked with all of them prior to this project and then there's folks like dolores catania from the real housewives of new jersey dolores is a cousin so Mm. dolores You know, I'm very grateful that she's able to lend her time and her voice to this project as well. And then there's amazing friends David LaRosa, Joanna Bonaro, whom I've worked with along the way, who are part of that initial season. Other people like Christine Nagy and Francois Clemens have become friends. To get to your question, though, the Sally Strutherses, the Jay Rodriguezes, they're people whose work I've admired and there are people who I assume, I don't speak for them. I don't speak for anyone except for myself. I assume that the other names that were already attached to the project, let them know that this guy, Brad Ferenza is safe. And also when you have a couple episodes to share with them, they understand that the quality is there, the writing's there, and uh, the production value is there. The third name that you mentioned was Bruce Valanche and Mr. Valanche went to school with my stepfather. So Mm. it was wonderful to have him in season two of the project. He also made a unique mark on the project, which I wear as a badge of honor in that he kind of wordsmithed and punched up some of the comedic lines and an Emmy winning writer like Bruce Valanche, just like Judy gold, Emmy winning writer did the same thing with her main episode in season three, them wordsmithing and punching stuff up and making it that much snappier is, ah, I'll never forget that.
1: No, that, that is awesome for, for sure. And yeah, I definitely didn't want to, uh, to forget about Francois Clemens. He's actually an outside question because I've had the pleasure of interviewing him too. What was that experience like? Cause he is, I mean, there's no one like him. That's all I can say.
0: I agree. Did you get a song from Dr. Clemens?
1: I did. I did. The end yeah. of the episode, he uh, he sung. I don't remember what he sung, but yeah, he uh, he sung for a while. It was awesome.
0: Did you get a vibe from Dr. Clemens? Like, I know you. I've met you before. This is deja vu.
1: Yeah, he yeah. I mean, he's he I don't think he's met a stranger. That's for darn sure. Yeah. We, were, we were connected at the very beginning. That was actually it's kind of an interesting thing but. The day we talked was the day. I don't know. I am starting to laugh, but the day we talked was the day that the the Queen had passed away. So he was late because he was watching that. And then when he got on, we talked for like fifteen minutes first, just about how much he liked the Queen before we could even start the the conversation. So wow. the diva man, the uh, the 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 king of of some of these opera things, had a had a, a deep appreciation for the Queen too, which I just thought was kind of was kind of funny.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I I feel like Dr. Clemens is a kindred soul. I feel like I've known him in a prior life. He's a wonderful human, a wonderful spirit. In addition to being best known as Officer Clemens on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, he does have this wealth of history, knowledge and experience in the world of opera and classical singing, in the American negro spiritual, mm. and He lent his voice to this project, not only in season one, but also in the current season, season three. He sings in both. In season one, he lends his talents to episode nine. It's titled Marathon. And it's a tribute to an uncle who has since passed, who was a runner, a marathoner. And Dr. Clemens plays a marathoner running through the New York City Marathon. And burrow by burrow, he's kind of chronicling different developmental stages, or his character is. And because Dr. Clemens is, as you said, Dr. Diva Man, he also lent some spirituals to that episode. And he's singing some holiday songs for us in season three.
1: That's awesome. It was an
0: amazing time, both experiences.
1: I'm sure it was. Yeah. The last thing I'll, I'll say about him and something that I told him during the interview is this is maybe the easiest interview I've ever had because, you know, generally, you know, I've, I've done a lot of interviews and yeah, people normally talk for about three minutes per question. So I know I need to write about 20 <laughs> questions. I asked him six questions total and we talked for an hour and a half. He just it's he, he. I mean, it, it doesn't take much to get a lot out yeah. of him. So I appreciated that. For he is for sure. the
0: the best, most inclusive extrovert I think I've ever ever met, and the most <laughs> genuine, authentic extrovert I've um, ever met.
1: I'm and with you,
0: Jackson. Get this: in addition to the Christmas carols that he recorded for season three, he also recorded an original song that I wrote and. This is. There are so many amazing things to remember about around the sun, and this notion of Grammy winner Francois Clemens recording a song that I wrote is huh, a huge feather in my cap.
1: I'm sure it is. That's that's amazing for sure. And I wanna I wanna kind of get now. We're talking a lot about the show, but we're not really talking about exactly what it's what it's about so let's first let's first talk about it each season is are they completely standalone can you can you listen to them in in whatever order or do they follow a, a path season to season
0: so it's an anthology series and to that end each season is wrapped up in its own location season one is in new york city season two is in the desert season three is in a snowy mountain region and there are broad themes that kind of bind the seasons together but only in season three the current season subtitled Pinecones, cones is it a continuous plot line where all of the characters are dealing with the same conflict and tensions around the absence of a family matriarch in seasons one and seasons two The episodes are genuinely freestanding Mm. and you know, if you are a fan of Alicia Reiner and David Allen Bache, you can listen to season one, episode five, hear them. And you're not gaining or losing anything if you don't have a reference point for the rest of that season. Mm. But in season three, our listening audience I think would be best served listening to the whole season even if you can still kind of get what's going on, if you're just dropping in to hear your favorite talent, you reference Jay Rodriguez. If you're listening to Jay and Wilson Germain Heredia, that's fine too. You'll get what's going on.
1: Yeah. So not only with outside of of this season, not only is each season standalone. It sounds like most episodes are. So yes. Uh, what what made you decide in season three that you wanted to to I guess have some some continuity?
0: Just to spice it up and since season one a lot of those episodes had been produced for 10 minute play festivals some weren't some you know i needed a nice round number so 10 episodes feels like a good strong season uh so some of the episodes in season one were written for the audio drama landscape but season two and now season three were written exclusively for the audio drama landscape and to that end i want for there to be more connective tissue between and among the episodes and season two even though it's still largely self-contained episodes the themes are more palpable than they were in season one because remember those season one episodes were initially created for different purposes season three the challenge as a writer it's a good challenge it's a welcome challenge is just keep it interesting and and hopefully learn and grow from every prior experience so hopefully season three my contribution as a writer and a producer is to just learn and grow from from season two so a chronological mini-series it seemed like it was time for that I'm actively thinking about what may or may not get done in future seasons. And I'm contemplating mockumentaries. Mm. I'm contemplating, well, let me just stop there because really I have to kind of focus on season three for now and not get too carried away, but there's the creative juices flowing.
1: Yeah, so if people are are going to tune in and listen, overall, kind of an overarching, what what should they expect? What should they expect to hear?
0: The tagline for Around the Sun is that we focus on human connections made and missed with an existential flair. And Mm -hmm. all of that without being too self-referential flows out of the writing. Before actors are attached, I have an idea in my head and for better or worse, this notion of human connections made and missed with an existential flair seems to be my bag. It seems to be my jam, so to speak. So observational humor, Listeners can expect to hear in any episode across the three seasons to date and comedy, tragedy, little like life, little bit of everything absurdity. There's some farcical episodes and some of these more absurdist moments, Sally Struthers being the wacky lady on the subway is one that jumps to mind. And Maureen Van Zandt being a woman who wants her pet cockatiel ousted. Um, Some of these absurdist moments, there's relatable connective tissue in. Sally Struthers' episode on the subway is about, in part, commitment. And she's the wacky lady on the subway who's going to help a stranger deal with his commitment issues. Maureen's episode with the cockatiel is about empty nest syndrome. So comedy, tragedy, life, farce.
1: So how do you, do you write these episodes um, and then try to find somebody that you think will will fit the episode? Or do you know the people that are going to, to be attached and then write towards, towards their strengths? Just because I think that, you know, an episode with, you know, Francois Clemens talking is a, is a totally different, he would say things in a totally different way than, you know, Jay Rodriguez or Bruce Falange.
0: Sure. Well, you, you, the collective you and your writers who are listening, you're right with a voice in your head. And these days here in season three, I might hope that the actor I'm going to ask is available and going to say yes, and I have gotten all of my top choice actors, which I'm very grateful for. I have to say that the path to yes is a little more protracted now that we're out of the pandemic, but it's a little of both to answer your question. Sometimes it's writing for personalities and really it's writing for for the character. And here's the, here's the world that that character makes me think of. Does that make sense? It
1: does. It does. So
0: season two, Mindy Cohn was part of our cast. She did an episode with Bruce Valance. She did an episode with Taylor Purdy. And in the episode with Taylor Purdy, who is a friend and an independent creator himself, Mindy, I don't want to give too much away, but we know her from the facts of life. We know her as bubbly, Natalie Green, effervescent lots of energy lots of comedy and a big smile and it's fun to re-watch some of those episodes and and see the extent to which Natalie smiles even when the focus is not on Natalie I've always gotten that there's a real beautiful vulnerability to Mindy as an actress and by my standards i haven't seen a lot of that and i really wanted to write for mindy knowing that knowing her canon of natalie green and scooby-doo and really funsy kinds of things i just wanted to expose that vulnerability and she did say yes and she did win an award for that particular episode uh if your listeners engage with that episode it's season two episode five i believe it's called mirage and it's a subtext episode so what her conflict is what taylor's conflict is that's the other actor she's playing opposite it's not on the surface it's below the surface so if you're passively listening you might think what the heck was that about but if you're really listening she's really giving a, a a nuanced vulnerable lovely layered performance
1: yeah and and i i noticed too cuz you know if if people are listening the you know the the good part of of it is just because obviously we've got a, everyone's got a lot going on and you're able to you know make these episodes powerful and and people come away with with things and they're they're relatively short you know they're 8 to eight to 15 minutes. They're not extremely long episodes. So was it intentional that you wanted to, you know, make these things relatively short and, and, and gain something from it? Or is it just simply, you know, shorter it is, the easier it is to, to write and the easier it is to, for people to agree to, if they're not agreeing to as much. So I just, I just wonder, cause I think it takes, you know, it takes, a, it takes a, sometimes a lot more work in, in writing to, to bring as much through in, in a short amount of time.
0: Well, thank you Jackson for helping me with my promotional efforts. Yes, episodes can be enjoyed. They're in average of 10 minutes each. And to that end, you listen to them while you're brushing your teeth, while you're online at the grocery store, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you live in Jersey City like me or Indiana like Jackson, it's a, a quick a quick walk, get your steps in with around the sun. So, to your question, Jackson, are they deliberately produced to be an average of 10 minutes? Again, that first season, which starts around the sun, those episodes had been produced as 10 minute plays. So the success of season one and the visibility of season one didn't really want me to change the structure too much for season two. You know, grow and learn as a writer and incorporate everything that I've learned um, as we've talked about, but I didn't want to suddenly give people a oh, 90 minute episode that I think would maybe alienate some of our listenership because they're not going to be able to take a walk around the block with a single episode or brush their teeth with a single episode. That's a different kind of storytelling. I think I'm playing with some of that in season three here where we are a mini series and the, the episodes and the conflict does build from one to two to three, et cetera. But uh, I would be reticent to really change things and do a hour long episode because I think our listenership, which is strong, in part keeps coming back because they know where to listen, how to listen and how much the commitment is, Mm. which for Mm. this landscape, I think is pretty good the 10-ish minute episode snappiness. There's an economy to it, and also it allows for a hint of mystery. It allows for the listener to fill in the blanks for themselves. In so many ways. Not just the visuals, which you don't have. Bruce Valanche called this a a mind picture or a brain picture. He had some really wonderful verbiage for it, but of course he did. He's Bruce Valanche. Uh, I think the 10 minute economy, you can pack a punch pretty quickly and there's not much room for fluff.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So as a writer, how much of your, your own experiences, I guess, kind of seeped into, into the episodes. You, you talked about how one takes place in the desert. One's in a snowy mountain. You talk a lot about Jersey. So I don't know that you're, you're spending a lot (laughs) of time in these places. So, uh, Uh, but let's talk about your experiences and how they, uh, how they got into the, uh, the episodes.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So all of the episodes on some level, I think have a, a hint of relatability in them. And, and yet most of the time they're completely separate from my lived experiences. You know, I've, I've been the person on the subway who's approached by someone who just wants to talk. We referenced the Sally Struthers episode earlier. That's season one, episode two, called Subway Car. But I've never engaged with that wacky person who just wants to talk with me for any length of time. Usually for better or worse, I move seats. Um, but what would happen if I engaged? What would that look like? And that's kind of you know what you get in her episode titled Subway Car. But in a couple instances like season one episode one park bench it's without giving too much away it's a it's an episode that also incorporates subtext and we find out that one of the characters is dealing with memory loss and like you potentially jackson like i'm sure many of your listeners i have had relatives my grandmother specifically had Alzheimer's disease when she was with us on this plane and just the, the vulnerability, the, the, the pain that I saw her going through the, the beauty also um, of the moments wherein she was lucid and present, uh, however fleeting that finds itself in, in their episode, Marsha Mason and Austin Pendleton's episode. And um then there's another episode from season one with bd wong and christine nagy and it's called apothecary and it's in part about my mom's experience of going to an eastern medicinal practitioner when she was trying to skirt or delay getting a hysterectomy mm-hmm. and i was just a little kid going with her into new york city and i remember being a fly on the wall being a, a, an outsider in this really niche world of eastern medicinal practice in new york city's chinatown and what my mom would come home to the jersey suburbs with and how she would have to prepare it uh it it, it it's an episode that kind of builds upon that experience mm. another i think just very beautiful, lovely, wonderfully acted episode and also one of our few episodes that's that's pretty abstract and the listener has to really suspend their disbelief. So it's not completely my experience, but it's rooted in being a fly on the wall.
1: So you're talking a little bit about abstract episodes. Talk a little bit more about have you done that in, in, with other episodes or is there is that something that you do a lot in in the uh, in the podcast?
0: Yeah, Jackson, it seems to come up once a season that there's an abstract episode. It's not deliberate, but implicitly, I guess I'm asking our audience to just suspend their disbelief a bit more. We did that in the episode with B.D. Wong and Christine Nagy. We did that in a season two episode with Caroline Aaron and Richard Klein. And then in season three, the current season, we do it with Robert Fanaro who is part of the Sopranos ensemble and Katie McLean, who's a three-time Emmy winner for three distinct roles across daytime television. And um, yeah, I guess it comes up once a season. And in, in season three, we're playing the characters that Katie and Robert portray. We're playing with issues of time and sequencing. And those are, They were so wonderful to work with and play with and to direct those episodes especially in a remote landscape can be very intellectual actors can have a lot of questions about the abstract nature of those episodes but they trusted me and they went with it and the result is is just a a beautiful production that being season three episode five titled Xmas past.
1: I like that. That must mean they had a lot of, a lot of trust in you. I guess the, the next question outside the podcast is just, I guess, getting to you. And that would be, you know, we've talked about how, you know, these people, you were in different acting classes and, and how you decided to start writing this, but what created your just initial passion for, you know, being, being creative and, 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 you know, just the the creative landscape. What, what created that passion? Is it something that's been lifelong or, or where are we at with that?
0: You know, that's a great question. And I, I think, I think I'll dovetail my answer out of what I just said in being a fly on the wall and my mom's experience as a woman trying to circumvent a hysterectomy. Like this is over decades ago at this point. Uh, I think a lot of my writing comes from, comes from being an observer of human behavior. Uh, and when did I start? I don't know that I've ever not been an observer. I'm always trying to live in the moment and be present in the moment. And yet I can't divorce myself from my just natural prependency to see what's going on. Why do people hate behave the way that they do? And um yeah. With respect to professionalizing my art though, I would say getting connected with and learning from people like those names I previously mentioned, that started happening about a decade ago. The first class that I took at HB Studio in New York City was with the late Anne Mira, who was just so wonderful and lovely and talented, of course, but we know that. And egalitarian in her attitude towards me and the other students that she was working with and by egalitarian i mean you're a kid growing up in the burbs and you come into new york city on these rare occasions to go to your mom's eastern medicinal practitioner or whatever and go home with some homeopathic remedies um but Anne set the stage for what we know to be true, these individuals, however celebrated or revealed revered or, or visible their body of work is, they're they're people too. And someone like Anne, much like the other names I reference, they wanna help other artists. Maybe help is the wrong word because it implies that they're they're doing a favor. And and maybe they are doing a favor, but also they're participating in the artistic process, which I don't speak for anyone, but that's part of them. That's in their blood. Participating in the artistic processes is, is in the muscle memory. Mm. And uh, working with Anne, who, gosh, I, I wish that I was able to work with her now because, oh, what a wonderful voice to potentially write for. Um but that kind of that access, that same playing field, that's what helped me professionalize my art. Yeah, leveling the playing field.
1: Yeah, what certainly what could have been. I think if you had her and uh, and her husband on an episode, that would have been that would have been an interesting thing. Obviously, they played so well off of each other. Yes. That, would have, that yeah, I, I yes, love yes, that. Yes. And I want to ask you. Too, because you know we're talking about these acting classes and things that you went through. I guess that's what I assumed you talked about classes do you is your niche now more in the the writing side or is is acting still something that you that you do at all or have you yeah. kind of found a, a space in writing
0: well writing I think is again I I, I hope I don't sound like I'm I'm having delusions of grandeur here but I think writing is my strong suit mm-hmm. I I also identify as an actor and uh I I am smart enough to not put myself in every episode but I do usually put myself in an episode a season including an episode in season two with the late Piper Lori who I did not know, who I have never taken a class with, but whose work I have always admired. And uh, the fact that she said yes to this project, I mean, she's saying yes to the writing first and foremost, but Mm -hmm. then it's, oh, and and by the way, you know, would you be open to acting opposite me? Now she didn't know me from a hole in the wall and she saw my reel and and she was open to it, which I'm so grateful for. Vincent Pastore had the privilege of acting opposite in season one, and he's someone who knows me well, and we've worked together many times. So it's, we have a shorthand that I didn't have with Miss Laurie, and yet there the connective tissue is not only they, we are all artists. It's, it's all the same playing field, different levels of visibility, clapping back to your point earlier, but the same playing field opportunities might differ and types might differ but the talent is assumed to be there on that same egalitarian playing field
1: absolutely oh
0: and if i could say one other thing sure season three since it is a continuous conflict and I'm the single person who is part of each and every remote recording session. I had the privilege, even though I'm still only in a couple episodes, I had the privilege of, of reading opposite all of these people just by happenstance of you can't get everyone on the same remote recording call. Mm-hmm. Estelle Parsons, Francois Clemens, Jay Rodriguez, Wilson Jermaine Heredia, Judy Gold, etc., cetera, et cetera. They're not going to all be available on the same day. So I had to read other roles and uh, that to that end, that's just a joy in and of itself. But I implicitly by default wind up being the, the kind of voice that keeps popping up in this third season for better or worse.
1: I'm going to ask you one final question about the podcast. And honestly, I'll tell you, you can, you can say you don't know the answer and we can cut it out because if people ask me this question, when (laughs) I've done interviews, I always say I have no idea or I don't want to answer it. So you've had so many amazing people on. Do you have a bucket list of people you'd like to have on in the future?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, I'll, I'm going to answer it by telling you the, the people whom we've been speaking about. These are all people who were on my bucket list. And the oh. fact that I've gotten to work with Piper Laurie, with Estelle Parsons, with all the other names mentioned, Uh, I'm still waiting for someone to pinch me.
1: I like it. That's a, that's a, that's a very good answer. I, I, uh, so let's kind of wrap things up and, and how can people find, uh, how can people find Around the Sun?
0: Around the Sun is available wherever you listen to podcasts and we're presented via the Broadway podcast network. They have us on their page and we also have an Around the Sun podcast.com page. And when I say we, I mean me and I. <laughs> it's uh, a lot of work to do something like this. And I'm, I'm grateful, Jackson, for your willingness to let me share it with your listenership. And I'm grateful to all of the people, many of whom we've discussed, who have given this project life and helped it cut its teeth. Season three is live right now. And in addition to the names we've discussed, it also includes Robert Fanaro, Terry Hu, and Katie McLean, all playing members of the same family, dealing with the loss or the absence of its matriarch.
1: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you, Jackson. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of the Not in a Huff listenership.
1: So that was Brad Ferenza. Really appreciate his time. Urge you to go check out the podcast. It's it's only ten minutes an episode, so you can uh, you can listen to it as kind of a palate cleanser in between catching up with this podcast. Yeah, wish for Lincoln, anyways. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think that you're just going to be extremely impressed and just extremely uh, immersed in in uh, in all things Around the Sun if you go check it out. So the links will be in the show notes to check out uh, Around the Sun. urge you to do that. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, really appreciate you being here. They are longer episodes in 10 minutes, but I, I hope that you enjoy uh, the people that, that I, I've had on. I had some amazing guests already, have some really great great guests in the, in the future as well. So go follow on Instagram. Go follow on Facebook. Instagram, Not Enough Podcast. Facebook, Not Enough JacksonF, Jackson com. Listen, like, leave a five-star review on Apple and on Spotify. And then also leave a written review on Apple. Even more amazing. So thank you for being here. We'll catch you next week. Take it away, Chris.
0: This has been Not In A Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.